Before we get started with today's show, let me tell you about another great ESPN podcast, The Dominique Foxworth Show. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth's podcast is every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities surrounding it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you're listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we'll talk about the life of Jim Brown. We'll also get your voicemails. But first... All right, so... uh. It's looking real rapish in the uh, NBA Conference Finals. We have got Miami beating the brakes off of the Celtics. Denver not beating the brakes off the Lakers, though demonstrating themselves clearly to be the better team, right? The thing that I think is halfway interesting about this in discussion, I have come away from this so impressed by the Lakers, Right now, the thing about the Nuggets is, I mean, Parker, Dan, have I not been trying to tell them all year long? You have been pretty consistent, yes. You're a big Jokic guy. That's all I'm saying. But it was the Nuggets thing more than specifically Jokic. Like, I went into this and said, you know what, fine, I'm going to say it. Denver's going to win the West because nobody else was really willing to do that. I understand where people get tired of them coming up at all these presses, talk about how nobody respected them and everybody else. Nobody really wants to hear that. But I'm asking you, outside of me, how many people did you hear that were willing to say that they were going to win the West, right? Part of this is the Bomani Jones, I told you so. But the other part is simply an understanding as to why nobody felt so comfortable doing that. I said this before. No one's ever picked the Nuggets to win a championship ever. The whole time that they have existed, you can't think of one time that you were like, yo, I thought that team was going to win the championship. Or even the West. You don't have it. It's not there. If they sweep this series, it will be the first time the Nuggets have ever won a series via sweep. Yes. Like, there's something tricky, too, that we don't talk that much about. Um, the Spurs got that David Robinson, uh, Tim Duncan thing together and won those championships. Of those four teams, those ABA teams who made it to the NBA, the Spurs are the only one to win a championship. Like literally the only one. When you look at it, the Pacers kind of had a chance in 2000 and like maybe in 98, but they've never been like a for real championship contender like that. They've been intriguing. I think the best chance they had was that year that them boys got in that fight in Detroit. Could have gone a whole lot different, but it didn't. Right? The Nets, before this whole thing they tried to do, there had never been no real chance that they were going to be it. Like, Denver's made it happen. But with the Lakers, they are not as good as Denver. And as much as Lakers fans tried to talk themselves into all these ways that maybe they could pull it off, I've been texting with a lot of my Laker fan friends, man, and I have to say, hashtag this is who you are now. I ain't never seen people try to pull out more delusional rationales for how it is that maybe, just maybe, their team could somehow pull this off. I have a man trying to make the explanation, and I know he listening. Homie, you know you, 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 know, you know you had to get this. He tried to make this claim that, Denver had better players, but they weren't a better team because they were wasting talent. And the rationale, the only rationale behind Denver wasting talent is that they don't get as much out of Michael Porter as they should. But that's what happens when Jamal Murray scores 53 points in a span of three quarters. He ain't really giving the ball to nobody else. Like, this is how it goes. There ain't but so much you can do to get the most out of three excellent offensive players in that way. We saw that with Miami and Chris Bosh when he was down there, right? But they were trying. My man, another Lakers fan, he a film school dude. I know he listening too. He's like, it's a narrative. LeBron is the hero of these, uh, these playoffs. And the hero has his back against the wall. Now the hero will respond and all that. Then after game three, he was like, oh, okay, you was right. After game one, I had a Lakers fan hit me up. He'd be like, you still think Denver go win in five? Yeah. I'm like, why did you think that would change? They just won. Like, what are you talking about? Everything. 
my buddy Nick, I was going to go to his house on Saturday, but honestly, I was too lit, so I just stayed home. But I thought about going over to his house to watch the game. Remember how he had boundless optimism over game after game one? But I see why they did, because the Lakers played so hard. Like, there was no point at which the Lakers mailed this in. I don't think they're going to come out here in game four on a mailing in program if for no other reason than LeBron James will die out there before he just lets a sweep on his name. He ain't been swept by my math since 07, right? Those finals that they made when he was 22 or 21 or whatever that was, 22. He ain't, oh, no, 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 no. He might have to die out there before he allows that to happen. That'll just be entirely shameful. Entirely shameful. That goes down. Nah, partner. He ain't trying to hear that. But they go hard. And you know why I'm pointing out the fact that they go hard. Because the Celtics don't. They do not. And I've been making this point for a while now. Missoula deserves a lot of blame, man. He does not appear to be a very good coach. Right? Parker, you got a you jumping in here or is that Oh yeah, just a correction. Uh LeBron did get swept in the twenty eighteen finals by the Warriors. Oh, they did get swept that year. Okay. They all run together. I thought he caught another five. I appreciate you uh, straighten that one out there. Um, that team wasn't this Nuggets team, by the way. Like, I feel like you can hold your head a little higher. Um, as good as I think the Nuggets happen to be. But the Celtics, man, this three coaches, and we've seen them not have it up here. They don't. They just don't. Blame this all you want. Man, I was watching the game. And the Heat went up by like 12 or something like that. And I was like, okay, the Heat going to win this game. But I figured when I came back from watching the succession funeral that it would still be about a 12-point game. Incorrect, guys. I came back and I want to say it was a 25-point game. I turned off a basketball game to turn on a funeral and turned off the funeral to watch a funeral. That's 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 what that was. I ain't see a team in black look that bad under them circumstances since Georgia got the lights turned off on them in 2008 against Alabama. I can't believe Georgia even wear them black uniforms ever again, but that's neither here nor there, right? I can't understand how a team that's got a core that's been together in the way that that core of that team has been together for as long as it's been together, as accomplished as that core of guys has been. And they just out here getting boat raced. I don't care who the coach is. What about y'all? Like, at some point, y'all got to decide that we're going to be the ones to do this, right? Coach, we ain't got no coach. We going to be the ones to go out here and do this. And they don't have a guy who can do that. You watch as that went down in game two, where the Heat just spread it out. The Celtics decided they were going to play one-on-one, which I did not think was as poor a defensive strategy as people thought it was. The aesthetics of Jimmy's performance in game three jump out far more than the actual efficiency. I want to save something like 25, 24, 25, 26 points, something like that, but it was on 24 shots. You know, like it wasn't... The reason it looks so bad is because on the other end, Jason Tatum is dribbling the ball off his foot, right? He's looking totally lost, absolutely at sea. Jalen Brown ain't making it happen. Everybody talked that about Grant Williams poking the bear and getting in Jimmy Butler's face. The problem wasn't that Grant Williams got in Jimmy Butler's face. Problem is, nobody stood with Grant Williams. That he was the only dude that was out here going hard. And I felt bad for him because by the time I get back to the game after the funeral, they start in the fourth quarter and the Celtics already got the fan favorites out there. They already had them out there. It was Pritchard. Uh, it was Cornette. Uh, Chicken Muscala, he was out there. Um... Who was they had? They had another one of them. Yeah, I mean that. And Grant Williams. Grant Williams was out there, and I felt like Grant Williams should have been offended. And by the way, while he was out there with the fan favorites, still going hard. Meanwhile, you we talk about these undrafted dudes for the Heat. Man, them dudes the Heat had out there um, in garbage time. Parker, you are a Miami guy. You are a Heat fan. I ain't heard of none of them dudes. Yeah, I don't know how. I, I'll question everything Pat Riley does in terms of finding high-end talent, but for whatever reason, that bottom of the barrel <laughs> stuff, he... Look, man, whoever that number 77 is, I had never heard of him. His name had a whole bunch of consonants. You know what was I'm saying? Big Yurt? Was that? Big Yurt? Omer Yurtson? Hey, sounds good to me. 
Sounds good to me. It was that kind of day, right? And I and I feel so bad because he got the ball at some point, and Kevin Harlan says, uh, the big man from George. And I was sure he was going to say Georgia. I don't mean like Atlanta, Georgia. I don't mean like Macon, Georgia. I mean war-torn Georgia. But instead, he says, from Georgetown. And I was like, when Georgetown start recruiting like that? I don't know if he counts as a fan favorite necessarily. Georgetown went about my whole life without recruiting a single white dude. It was some dude, I think his name was like Brian Kelly in the 80s. And then it was Matt McClung, who at that time almost didn't count. They had no white dudes in between, man. They had to change the game up there over there and getting this cat that I thought was from war-torn Georgia, which to be fair, he may actually be from war-torn Georgia. I didn't bother to look it up. That name sounds Turkish, but, you know, could go either way. It is Turkish. It's Turkish. From okay. Turkey. Yeah. See, see, I know a little something out here. I went to graduate school. You learn these things. But anyway, Celtics just look like some bums. They look like suckers. Only people that look like more, more like suckers than the Celtics are the Sixers for blowing a 3-2 lead to those dudes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I could wow you with analysis or try to come up with all of this and da-da-da. But I really feel like that E-Series came down to want to. And that West series came out to, we just got better players. Did y'all see that interview that uh, young Jock, Jock Landale did? Uh, I forget some podcast he went on. Oh, it was so funny because he was talking about dealing with Jokic. It's just how hard it was to guard Jokic. But what was so funny is that people, he was like, yo, people are saying that this only happened against Phoenix because, you know, this Landale guy's out here guarding him and that, Anthony Davis is 10 times better than him and da-da-da. And Landale is like, look, in a whole lot of aspects, you are right. He is 10 times better than me. But it ain't got nothing to do with guarding this dude. <laughs> like, he could be 100 times better than me. That ain't changing nothing when it comes time to guard this dude. Right? Even that game three, where I thought the Jokic played like a bum for three quarters. And then the fourth quarter was just like, okay. Let me just bang into these guys a little bit. They ain't got nothing left. LeBron, bless your heart, man. He did everything he could. Anthony Davis has come out here and played hard. He's And I wanted to say this right fast. I mean, it's too late now, but I always talk about the distinction with Anthony Davis between being big man and being tall man. And he has played like big man this series. He has gone hard. He has tried to go into Jokic's chest. He's done a lot on the glass. He's played like big man. And I just want to say, son, you ain't got nothing else to prove to me. I got it. I get it. I get it. I see it. You've demonstrated. But maybe you should try the tall man stuff now because the big man stuff ain't really going so far. D'Angelo Russell, he, he won't be around next year. I don't think that that, that they, could, they could. Look, he had a negative 25 and 26 minutes in game one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All uh, bad. Austin Reeves, shout out to you, man. You are an NBA player. Like a real live, legitimate NBA player. Um, let me say something about the Heat right fast because Heat fans get real sensitive about this. Hey, man, they're killing it. There's no other way to pull it. I mean, remembering that Tyler Hero got hurt to start this series, right? Like they're not up the guys that we thought that they would be up. And all these other guys are just out here doing the Tyler Hero stuff and maybe playing better defense along the way. Like, it's nuts. Like, it's that. But, yeah, Lakers, shout out to you. Because y'all are showing heart. Celtics, gonna start calling y'all the Boston 10 men. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. 
Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. So, um, I have said many times over the years, and you can probably find it, that as our sensibilities and sensitivities towards certain major issues have changed or become heightened in terms of the sensitivities, broader in terms of the sensibilities, and somebody would die, and it's like obit time, or everybody got to send out a tweet or whatever, the line I would always have was, boy, I don't know what we going to do when Jim Brown dies. And Jim Brown died, um, I'm going to say Friday. I actually, upon saying, I don't know what we're going to do when Jim Brown dies, I had been thinking for a long time. We did a book club on uh, Jim Brown, Fierce Life of an American Hero by Mike Freeman. But I really had given thought to, there's going to be a day that I got to come to work and Jim Brown's going to die. And I'm going to have to be the person to come to talk about it or to figure out what the context is that um, we want to offer. I had had similar thoughts about Ali. And when that happened, I had to do like a three-hour radio show on Ali. And the reason I really had given that thought to Jim Brown was I feel like we've come too far as a sports media and kind of are thinking on in many different ways and on many different things to just stop and land that Jim Brown was complicated. When the truth is, Jim Brown wasn't complicated at all. Jim Brown only became complicated if you tried to make him what you wanted him to be. Whether those were good things or bad things. If you took Jim Brown as he was, he was a remarkably simple man. The lines that connect the things that I think a lot of people find to be contradictory are right there. The only thing to me that one could truly term as being complicated about Jim Brown is that he was at once dedicated to black liberation while also being a strict adherent to Reagan-style capitalism. Those are two concepts that are very, very, very difficult to reconcile, at least in application. But in the thought process, not so much. Now, here is a very simple sentence that encapsulates Jim Brown undeniably. Jim Brown was a man. Now, ordinarily, when you hear people offer a sentence like that and hear it in the tone in which I said that, they take that as being overwhelmingly and completely positive. And in the case of Jim Brown, it is largely positive. And I would say in many ways, positive in ways that ultimately became positive for everybody else or positive for the larger world okay and so i start this by saying jim brown and you can go back and look this up at five different points and just look in the way he carried himself and everything else jim brown number one asset the thing about himself that he, appri- that he prized above all else. It was not his blackness. It was his manhood. Anything that he took as an affront to his manhood was the thing that he pushed back on. All the work that he did, when you think about it, is grounded in some idea or notion of manhood. And he's doing this starting as an athlete in sports in mainstream societies across the world centuries and millennia have been celebrations of manhood right that is the basis of what all of this is is celebrations of manhood and if you believe in a traditional notion an idea of manhood and you the aliens came and were like yo bring us a man they gonna bring jim brown right Can you think in your head of a figure that projects the idea of masculinity more clearly 
than Jim Brown did. I can't think of a single one. And he did this while playing the ultimate man's game in this society, which is football. And how much of a man was he as a football player? Jim Brown played back in the day football, all right? When he was reaching in them face masks and trying to gouge your eyes out. And everything else. And there wasn't all these rules to protect you. He played, as my man Clayton English said, he played when the helmets were squishy. He did all of those things. And that man lived to be 86 years old. Jim Brown ran through all them dudes and outlived damn near all of them. Right? He was unconquerable. He was indestructible. And like when you think about him as a football player, and you can go through and look at all the stats and everything, Jim Brown is without question one of the two greatest football players of all time. It's him and Jerry Rice. Everybody else is way behind them. At least we'll talk about offensively because it's easier to quantify that stuff. It's those two guys, and then it's everybody else, okay? We always talk about how wild it is that Jim Brown walked away at the height of his career. At age 30 as a running back. Think about that for a second. At age 30 as a running back, we're like, yo, why don't you come back and play more football? And that dude was like, I'm making the dirty dozen, guys. This is what I'm doing, right? And you look at the letter that he sent Art Modell when Art Modell threatened to suspend him if he didn't get to training camp on time, and it was all about manhood. He was like, I value my manhood, and I'm sure you understand that. That is the currency that he had. And see, that manhood, though, that's the thing. You look at the movie roles that he played, like the building of the modern action star. A lot of that kind of starts with Jim Brown. Like, Howie Long has made that point. You go look at that in the 1970s, or look as the black exploitation stuff comes up and everything else, this portrayal of black manhood in particular. This was Jim Brown. But it also take a man to go stand and align himself with Ali, as he did in the 1960s. Right? The work that he did in Hollywood, trying to find ways to get this money up to support black films and support black projects. I take a man to do that. And good God, that work he's doing out there in L.A. with them with them gangs. Look, Jim Brown left the front door of his house unlocked. Because he never knew if one of them boys needed someplace to hide out or someplace to stay. And you know damn well wasn't nobody about to start no ruckus at Jim Brown's house. All right? That's who he was. These people in these circumstances that so many people had given up on in these neighborhoods that even cops are scared to roll up on and these gangs that even the cops are scared to do anything with. Jim Brown's walking in dealing with them broker intrusers. And by the way, this is a world and causes that a whole lot of our more erudite bourgeois folks that claim to care so much ain't care nearly as much about those dudes care about them kind of in theory and in an academic way but on the boots on the ground sort of way hey man take a man to do that and that man was jim brown and that man was consistently jim brown but what's interesting about a mayor i can when he started it i found this right before i got on the show he said that he had based the american foundation around three things the determination of malcolm x the recovery program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the capitalism of Ronald Reagan. See, this is why it's interesting when Jim aligned himself with Trump and people were so shocked and so saddened. I was like, what are you talking about? Jim Brown's a capitalist. Like, this is what he's about. Jim Brown also endorsed Nixon in 1972. Now, something to think about, though, with Brown and his endorsement of Nixon. James Brown also was a Nixon endorser. Will Chamberlain, too. Though with Will Chamberlain, people looked at it like he kind of got fooled. There was a consistency with James Brown and Jim Brown on this. And these are two, hey, again, man, right? Like that standard idea of masculinity. But these are also up from like bootstrap type dudes like they really believe that james brown really looked at himself in that way and truly believed that the path for black people was self-determination the self-determination was going to be the thing that made it happen not the ideas that liberal politics typically have or what black people need they just believe hey man give us a chance and we're gonna go over here and we're gonna make it work 
there's a consistency there in that ethos for these guys who really believe in capitalism and really believe in this, right? Like, it's there. That's why I say Jim is not complex. It is not complex that Jim Brown would align himself with Donald Trump. And the reason it's not complex that he would align himself with Donald Trump is that Donald Trump would be willing to meet with him. Which I feel somewhat confident a whole lot of these other presidents would not. And by the way, I did a Google image search on that too, right? It's in the most thorough search, so I could be wrong. I couldn't find no pictures of Jim Brown with Jimmy Carter. I couldn't find no pictures. Only picture I found of Jim Brown with Bill Clinton, they were both on some panel. I couldn't find no pictures of Jim Brown with George Bush. I sure couldn't find no pictures of Jim Brown with Barack Obama. Them dudes wasn't meeting with Jim. Trump would. And you know why Trump would? Because Trump ain't tripping off the fact that you put your hands on a few women. See, this gets us to the place where people say that Jim Brown is complex or complicated. And again, I don't see anything complicated about this. It's complicated if you want to make Jim Brown a plaster saint. If you want to be able to take the good works he did and use them to define him then maybe it's complicated. Or maybe it's complicated if you want to simply view him through the lens of his treatment of women. There's room to talk about these two things at once. And you have to talk about the way Jim dealt with women. I wrote something, I guess it's now, wow, man, it might be like 17 years ago about Jim Brown. And it was just about how Jim Brown was the most intimidating athlete ever. And I remember, I haven't looked the piece up, but I remember I almost had like a throwaway part at the end. This is like 2006, somewhere in there. I feel like I had like a throwaway part in the end about the flip side of this, of course, is that his intimidating nature also led to him having these problems with violence against women. Um, I obviously in that piece did not give it enough attention. In this time, we're not as willing to just kind of be like, yeah, but about the violence that Jim perpetrated against women. And part of why I think that we were so willing to do that for so long with him is because Jim Brown was a man. Right. Even if you saw this as being negative behavior. I think a lot of people viewed that as an extension of the hypermasculinity that he projected. Almost, uh, you know, can't make an omelet without breaking eggs kind of situation. Like, I think that's how a lot of people looked at those things that he did. The man once threw a woman off a balcony. I'm going to throw the allegedly out there because I just don't know the legal standpoint on it. But he threw a woman off a balcony. You go through his wiki page and you get to the, you know, the personal stuff or the controversies or whatever it is. You know what phrase comes up a lot? 18 year old. As in Jim Brown was engaged to an 18 year old and they broke it off. Jim Brown had this thing with an 18 year old. Jim Brown brought a 15 year old here or wherever it is. There's no defending the way that he dealt with women. And it's beyond the fact that there's no defending the fact that he the way he dealt with women. There's nothing to do but offer it scorn. There's nothing to do with those things but to condemn them. That's the only option that you got. Again, it only becomes complicated if you think you can't praise these acts and condemn these others. You can do both. You have to do both. We all have to do both. And for me, the thing about Jim and his treatment of women and his violence against women, that to me is the part that's really the worst. It's not simply the commission of the acts. It is the six-decade-long refusal to take any measure of accountability whatsoever for his behavior. Give you an example. Jim went to jail, I guess it's about 20 years ago, somewhere in there, because he had lost his shit. 
as he was wont to do in some argument with his wife. And I guess maybe it was an improvement for him that he didn't hit her and instead he destroyed her car. And so he was offered some plea bargain that did not involve going to jail and he refused. And the reason he refused was in effect a technicality. He refused because the way he saw it, it was his car. He paid for the car. He owned the car. If he wanted to destroy the car, he could. And so rather than just take his medicine, he went to jail on the principle that it was his car. That's him. I remember watching in the Jim Brown All-American documentary that Spike Lee did. Jim was on Larry King. And he's sitting there and, you know, Larry King would take calls. And somebody called in and was like, I lived in the building when you threw that woman off that balcony. Jim still couldn't own it. He referred to it at the time as a misunderstanding with the police. But you had all these women that accused him of beating them. Women accused him of sexual assault, but then ultimately simply didn't press the charges. All these women who are always so much younger than him and everything else. And this the man that could get boots on the ground in Mississippi in the 60s to go help out black people. This the man that ain't afraid to go into these neighborhoods in L.A. and to deal with the gangbangers. This the man that wasn't afraid to walk away from his NFL career in the 19, in the 1960s because his black ass was going to be a movie star, right? This is the man that was un- unconquerable in so many ways. The man that got lied to when he went to Syracuse about what the actual racial dynamics were going to be and then got there and wasn't treated nothing like he was supposed to and still rose above at every turn. This dude, this man in every way was that threatened by women. That threat, right? He could face down all those things, but could not face down the truth. He could take on all those responsibilities, but could not take that accountability. And he had six decades to do it. Six decades to just say, I did some terrible things. He ain't even necessarily have to get into the nitty gritty about it all. Just, I messed up. And never had the strength to do that. That is the ultimate disappointment when it comes to a man who did legitimately heroic things. Legitimately heroic things. I'm just telling you, man, you'd go. Jim could have been like the Paul Robeson of his day. And he's also one of those people where the places where I disagree with him, we disagree pretty fervently, but I respect it because his intentions, I believed, were always good as it related to the people. In 2008, the NFL had passed, um, basically they had the FBI investigating dudes throwing up gang signs in games and i was like oh, i think i should try to have jim brown on my show to talk about this and somebody gave me the phone number to jim brown's house and so i called jim brown cold call him at his house and i asked him to come on my radio show to talk about this and he says yes and he asked me well what about this do you want to talk about and i told him i said well the thing that i notice is that your work is with gang members, but it's never about ending gangs. It's always about ending gang violence. And I think that's an important distinction. And I want to talk to you about that. And he says, yes, yes. Like he was just seeing if I got it, you know? And so we talked more and more in that call. And then I remember the next day he was an hour late for the call. And of course I'm mad, but you ain't gonna be mad at Jim Brown. And then he came on, he didn't know me from, you know, can of paint. And it was like, it was hard just not to get wrapped up by how smart he was, right? And it was hard not to get wrapped up in his true dedication. Like he's telling me about how the night before the Super Bowl, Bill Belichick is coming to meet with his gang members. Bill Belichick, night before Super Bowl. Right. 
Like all of those things, you know, it's all this fascinating stuff. And so if you're in the midst of him, it's hard not to get wrapped up in the magnitude of that dude because dudes like that are special. And they just don't make very many dudes like that. The last time I saw Jim was, I want to call it either 2016 or 2017 at the Soho Beach House in Miami. I'm walking out. He's walking in with his wife. And I remember he had a cane. And it was just wild, the idea that Jim Brown had to walk with a cane. But, I mean, Jim Brown at this point is still like 80 years old, right? And he's walking with the cane. We shook hands real quick. He remembered me. You know, I talked to his wife for a second. Kept him moving. You know, all of those things. And I remember seeing him and being like, this man is going to die, but this man ain't never going to die. You know, like, it was just like, he just seemed so indestructible. And he seemed so inconquerable. But the truth conquered him every time. The worst of him, he could just never acknowledge and what i wonder about him is did he ever truly accept it like you think about that time that sean connery line about how sometimes you got to just slap your you know yeah slap your woman every now and then which is just absolutely abhorrent and indefensible and he said it on the record but he meant it right he was like yeah this is what i do this is how i get down jim couldn't do that you know jim jim wasn't there on that it always reeked of shame that his anger could consume him and that his anger could control him but the most shameful part was he never could own it not once not one single time and it's the thing that makes you question the greatness not simply the acts that he committed but the idea and foundation of the idea of the greatness of Jim Brown is based encourage and in this most important way he was a coward now how do you add all those things up to make a nice tidy package huh. that's complicated but what he was oh that's actually pretty simple that was a man in the best and worst ways. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, this first story comes from Tech. My name is Cade Metz, and I'm a reporter with the New York Times, where I cover emerging technologies, including the rise of artificial intelligence. I recently published a story about a group of researchers at Microsoft who believe that the latest AI technology shows signs of true intelligence, reasoning, and common sense. Microsoft is the primary investor in OpenAI, the tiny startup behind the wildly popular online chatbot ChatGPT. In the fall, the Microsoft researchers got their hands on what's called GPT-4, the new technology that underpins this online chatbot. As they explored this enormously powerful system, they began to wonder if a new kind of intelligence was emerging. They recently published their findings in a research paper that has landed them smack in the middle of one of the tech industry's hottest debates. Is the industry building something akin to human intelligence? Or are some of the industry's brightest minds letting their imaginations get the best of them? Yes, they are. I was having a very interesting conversation with a good buddy of mine over the weekend, my man Adam. And he and my brother were talking about just various ways to use the chatbot. A lot of really helpful ways, um, you know, that you could use it for stuff. But he came with his grand idea, his grand point, which was we are teaching these machines who we are. Right, like these AI bots are like they're keeping a running tab on everything. So you keep telling them stuff, tell them what you're interested in, tell them what you're looking for, whatever, tell them you know, all these things, and it's learning about you. It's becoming you. And at some point, it's probably going to replace you. Like all these tiki torch jokers out here that we will not be replaced. Y'all worried about us. You need to go holler at these computers. You know what I'm saying? 
Y'all marching in Charlottesville. Nah, man, go take that out there to San Jose or something like that and go holler at these machines. They the ones that's going to replace you if somebody's going to ultimately do it. But that's all this stuff is not well thought out. It's just, hey, we can do this. Why don't we give it a try? It is all turning into a science fiction movie. And what's so depressing about it is, in the end, it is human beings who are deciding that humans are not that valuable. Or worse than that, it's that humans are that valuable, but they just cost too much. And so the independent capitalist ethos is winning out in a way, because the whole thing about capitalism, the only way like it works with the people is the idea that in the end, it'll benefit everybody, right? Nah, dog. That ain't, that ain't the way this game is trending with this AI stuff. And so we all out here, think about this. If we in the mainstream talking about how afraid we are, imagine how far they don't really got with this in the ways that we don't know. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck to us all. All right, this next one is from social media. Hello, this is Terry Castleman with the LA Times. I wrote a story last week about a 29-year-old former Olympic snowboarder named Trevor Jacob, who agreed to plead guilty to the felony charge of obstructing a federal investigation by deliberately destroying the wreckage of an airplane that he intentionally crashed in Santa Barbara County to gain online views. Jacob was the star of a YouTube video titled, I Crashed My Plane, which amassed millions of views on YouTube. In this video, he claimed that he was flying up to Mammoth Lakes from uh, Lompoc Airport to spread the ashes of a friend and Shortly into the flight, he claimed to have engine failure, jumped out of his plane, and was able to parachute to the ground while recording the last moments of the plane in question. Ultimately, the FAA used the video that he uh, uploaded to strip him of his pilot's license, and then recently, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles had charged him with obstructing their investigation into the crash. He and a friend, according to a statement on the guilty plea they put in, uh, the plea agreement, they went to the wreckage in a helicopter, picked it up, and disposed of the parts of the plane in order to obstruct a federal investigation into what authorities say was an intentional crash. Um, no one was injured, and it seems possible that he may have gotten away with it, if not for the YouTube video, which was a sponsored project with a wallet company called Ridge Wallets, which has since been removed from the videos. Almost immediately when he uploaded it, people began to speculate that this was not a legitimate airline crash. He was flying with a parachute on, with a selfie stick in his hand, with many cameras mounted to the plane. So this has been a case that's closely watched. He admitted in the plea agreement that his decision to parachute out of the plane was not driven by engine failure or a lack of safe landing options. So he awaits sentencing up to 20 years imprisonment is the max sentence thanks for having me on what a dumbass i I can't think of nothing more complex that's all i really got for you on this man what a dumbass for clout for clout and 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 ridge wallet right like he came up with this idea and they gonna sell some wild okay okay well well How much money was he even going to get? They say he can get up to 20 years. They ain't going to give him no 20 years. But if they did, I'm not marching for you. I ain't calling the ACLU. I ain't doing none of that. Crashed a plane for the it. I'm sorry. I just keep trying to come up with things to say. And I'm I've known about this story for a week, and I still can only give you this. All right. This last one, the journalist couldn't join us, but I'm going to uh, recap the story. So since the housing crisis of 2008, the way large corporate equity firms view the low-end housing market has shifted, and the pandemic extended the issue. For example, the private equity group of Blackstone alone spent $5.1 billion on 80,000 units as part of pandemic spending. Investors also bought 24% of single-family homes sold in 2021, and that continues the current 5% share of single-family homes that are owned by large corporate investors will rise up to 40% by 2030. Private equity groups are also expected to raise more money in the next two years than they have in the past six, 
because of their uh, change in the ways that they're attacking the housing industry. This has caused organizers to react across the country. In Baltimore, San Diego, and Minneapolis, amongst many others, protesters are marching against the equity firms over lack of communication and failure to meet with maintenance requests, with some seeing resolutions to their end. Of note, private equity firms have all claimed customer service is their top priority. (laughs) Yeah, I bet it is. Um, I know this has been the thing I was reading about it in Atlanta a few years ago about private equity buying up these apartment complexes. And I would just raise the question one more time. When's the last time private equity bought something and it got better? (laughs) It's just not how it works, guys. That's not what it is. And I mean, capitalism is about, like we say about capitalism, it's really good for the stuff you want. It's really bad for the stuff you need, right? And the thing about something like where you live and home, there's a real human slash humane element to that like that's not something that can truly be dealt with coldly like i remember when i uh moved to miami and uh my guy dan his mom was helping me find a place and it was just really interesting like it was a very emotional thing for her finding the place like it's a very personal thing where you wind up living you know and it, it's not just hey i got a roof okay what it is like it becomes a part of you in that way and that ain't the way no private equity ever going to look at anything. Like a landlord ain't never been but so great about it, but at least it was a person. You know, like there's something to that idea or whatever it is. This stuff here, not everything is supposed to be a profit maximizing endeavor. And what I mean by that is, like when you start getting into private equity and the corporate stuff, like everybody's trying to make money. But it's a different game when it's not people. Right? It's just like math is maximizing a mathematical equation basically that's real bad for where people live and on that low end of the market man they're gonna lose so bad there's just no way around it there's none whatsoever but this is where this is where we are guys we're just kind of doomed Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. The voicemail topic for this week is to tell us the story of the wildest line game you ever heard spit. Oh, man. Thank you. Because I had completely forgotten what it was this week. All right. I'm here. Let's go. All right. This first one's from Jordan and Cali. Hey, this is Jordan in California. So back in college, I had this homie. He was always spitting good game. I always had something to say. I used to call him the mayor. Anywho, cut it, cut it short. He had a pretty good big crush on this one girl, and uh, she had a boyfriend, but didn't let it slow him down. Kept trying, kept trying. But one time we're hanging out, and he told her, and I quote, when you find yourself unencumbered with a relationship, hit me up. Yeah, just she never hit him up. But, man, that still was a great line. Anyway, love the show. Thanks, man. If you find yourself unencumbered. Wow. I'm starting to wonder, though, if we should ask Cass the most ridiculous thing they ever said so they could call in anonymously, because I feel like fellas ain't really saying the good stuff around other people. And by the good stuff, I mean the terrible. This next one didn't leave a name, but it's interesting. All right, Bo. Uh, I think this is probably my second time being on, if I get on. Had a party in Vegas, Halloween party. Went to one of my homeboys. I knew this girl from L.A., uh, and she brought all her homegirls, so I was able to bring all my homeboys. So, you know, it was, it was a nice little scene or whatever. And she, you know, knew some people. So she was able to get us in the towel, which was, you know, cracking at the time. And uh so we get in the towel, whatever. And, you know, you're seeing some of the most beautiful girls you've ever seen in your life in there. And uh one of them was dancing in front of us. And I'm with my homeboy, Terry. And she's dancing in front of us. So, you know, I'm thinking... He's going to walk up to her, you know, talk to her, ask her name, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you're a little bit inebriated. So he just, like, taps her on the elbow while she's dancing. Hey, she don't say nothing. Tap her again. Hey, she don't say nothing. He taps her a third time on the elbow, and she turns around, cuts him out. What the F you want? He just put his hands out like Rick James <laughs> on the True Hollywood Story when he was welcoming Charlie Murphy and just said, what up? <laughs> and even the girl couldn't help it. She had to laugh at him. And 
she turned back around to start dancing, but I was like, bro, that's it? That's all you had? Was what up? Probably one of the funniest stories I've ever had with this dude, but yep, well, that's my story. Can't believe he did that. Hey, I think he had a point, though. He's like, it ain't about what you say, it's about who you are, baby. That's all it is. Like, if, if the what up wasn't going to do it, nothing else he said was going to. <laughs> what up? Okay, gotcha. I mean, my thing is, the third tap. Like, hey, man, like, I am easily discouraged. Tap one? Oh, well, I guess, I guess you busy. All right. Uh, this last one, I can't believe it worked. All right, both. So, check it. We had my homie's birthday party, right? And his now girlfriend, hopefully to be future wife one day, she walk in the door. She's tapping the clock and she's like, man, I think I dropped my weed somewhere. I don't know where it is. Homeboy looked at us. He's like, probably lost it and all that ass. I'm going to help him find it. And just walked off. The whole crew fell out laughing because he did it so smooth. Didn't turn around or nothing. Walked up to it, just started kicking games, talking, sitting over there laughing, and we are dying for five to ten minutes straight. I also got another old boy who was like, hey, this is back in high school. He's like, hey, uh, before we get to talking, you got to tattoo my name on your, um, yeah. And she was like, okay, bet. My old boy got a whole girlfriend and everything. They got kids nowadays. And she did it. She did it. I couldn't believe it, bro. It was amazing. That's my cousin, by the way. Shout out, bro. She got the tattoo? I tell you this, though, about that first one. If she walk in the dough and she like, damn, I think I lost my weed and she ain't got no problem saying it, you got a pretty good chance for you probably lost it and all that ass working. Like the overlap of that person and the person that's trying to hear that, I, 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 could, I, could, I could see how that goes, right? Especially like she know. You know, like it don't sound like that was a mystery. She know. She, 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 look, not everybody take booty compliments as being disrespectful. Some of them are like, oh, wow, you noticed. Yeah. Das was up. He said that. Gave it an up and down. She was with it. Boom. My question is, did they find the weed? Like, that's that's like, she's like, I think I dropped it. Where you drop it? Like, like we can we can we can walk your steps back. Like, like, where do we go? Hmm. But hey, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Dan Stanzik and Parker Owens handling things behind the scenes. Thank you, fellas. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Cade Metz in the New York Times. Check out his story on Microsoft saying their AI has developed human reasoning. Thanks to Terry Castleman of the LA Times. Check out his story on a YouTuber staged in a plane crash at latimes.com. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out the right time with Bomani Jones podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The right time with Bomani Jones.